The Chabad Pulse podcast discusses serious issues and interviews guests in a free-form, open manner, occasionally touching on adult topics that may be unsuitable for children's ears. You are listening to the Chabad Pulse podcast. What is it like to finally publicly tell your story of child and adolescent sexual abuse after so many years of keeping it a secret? And what changes can our system and our community make to help survivors and prevent further abuse? Rabbi Avramit Sippel, a shliach of the Rebbe and a sexual abuse survivor, is in studio with us to answer these questions and more on the Chabad Pulse podcast. Hi there. I'm your host, Shalom Nemenev, and you're listening to the Chabad Pulse podcast. If you're listening to us for the first time, either because you found us via our entree to social media, or because you found the link on chinfo.com, crianceinfo.com, welcome. We're so glad you decided to join us. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy the following episode, and I hope you'll go listen to our back episodes or our past episodes. You can do that by visiting chabadpulse.com or by searching Chabad Pulse No Spaces on any music or podcast streaming platform or on YouTube. We've got some great ones, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. If you're already a regular listener, we sincerely thank you for your continued support and your continued patience as we uh, work to become more consistent in our posting schedule. You can stay tuned on that process and get the latest updates and sneak peeks into future episodes by following us on Instagram, at Chabad Pulse. On the podcast this week, we have a conversation with Rabbi Avrami Tzipel. Uh, Rami is a shliach of the Rebbe in Utah. Uh, he's a class and a campmate of mine. He's my age. And he's a person who recently went public with his experience of uh, sexual abuse as a child and adolescent. Um, so it was a big story. It went viral. It's possible you heard about it already. Uh, and you can find the details of that experience, um, including the story of how and why he came forward by reading the original interview he did with the Utah newspaper Deseret News. Uh, we're going to link to that article in the description below, podcast description on YouTube and on uh, podcast platforms. Um, I'm coming forward was a big shock to me personally, I think to most people who knew him, because I think most people, uh, you know, and this is wrong of most people, including me, have a, have a picture in their head of what someone who suffered from child sexual abuse looks like. Um, we assume a level of dysfunction. And again, none of this is fair. None of this is based on anything but our own, um, you know, ignorant assumptions. But and Avrami does not fit that category. Avrami is a person who went through the system. Avrami is a shliach of the Rebbe. He's, uh, by all accounts, um, uh, a success. And he suffered from this. He experienced uh, <laughs> this. So it was a shock. It was a shock to all of us. Um, and it's and hearing his story uh, and talking to him, it, it drives home the point that uh, you know sexual abuse doesn't always leave publicly visible scars. And more importantly, it's a reminder that we as a community don't truly understand the scope, the depth of this issue that we have to deal with. Our conversation wasn't about the details of his abuse or recovery. That's already been covered by people more qualified than I, uh, including in a conversation uh, with the Shliach, Rabbi Peretz Chain. Uh, he has a podcast called A New Conversation with Hani and Peretz, and uh, Rabbi Tzibel did a, a conversation with him that went more in depth on the you know nuts and bolts of the abuse and recovery process. Uh, I found it fascinating, and I think you should uh, listen to it too if you're interested. Um, we're going to link to that also in the uh, episode description, again, on the podcast platform of your choice or YouTube. Um, instead, we focused on uh, 
the community reaction and how that figured into his decision to come forward, what it's actually been like, and, uh, and the ways uh, he thinks we can and should be doing better to address this issue. Um, I think it's, a, it's, it's one of the more, uh, I mean, despite the painful subject matter, it was a very interesting interview, and I hope you'll feel the same. So without further ado, let's get started. It is an honor to welcome to the show, Rabbi Avramit Sippel, Shliach of the Rebbe in Salt Lake City. Welcome, Avrami. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's our pleasure. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm happy to. Um, so we're here to talk about, well, talk about he- a heavy topic. Uh, it's heavier than most things we talk about here, but uh, it's as important as any of them, more important than most of them, I'd say. Um, for, for people who don't know, Rabbi Tzipel is, uh, is a survivor of sexual abuse and uh, has come out, came out with this story a couple of months ago, uh, went public. It went viral, I guess, in, uh, in, in, in some ways. I guess so, yeah. That's a fair thing to say, I guess. <laughs> um, starting with an original article in the Deseret News that we're going to link uh, in the description of this, of this podcast that you can go over the details because we're not going to be go, going over those details here. Um, that's been covered by people more qualified than me um, in a more you know, thorough way. We're here to talk about really the way your experience has... Um, well, the way it relates to our community and the way our community deals with things like this and your experiences with that. So let's start from the very beginning. When, not the very beginning, from the beginning of, 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 the, of you the coming forward. Beginning. Yeah, of you coming forward. Sure. When you started seriously thinking about it, how, how much did the reaction of the community, your friends, your family, how much was that weighing on you as a factor? I would say it was by far the, the strongest factor, uh, no question. Um, I would split up friends and family. Obviously, my family was aware of it at a pre- pretty early stage. But there's levels in family. There's your right, right, family, yeah, right. You know, so, so when family. you think about cousins and they're like, sure, right. um, it was it was the scariest thing in the world. Um, specifically, when I thought about, you know, my classmates in yeshiva and and people on Kingston Avenue and fellow shluchim and, you know, Lubavitchers who are complete and total strangers, how would it be taken? Um, it was daunting. Um, I think for me, the most daunting thing was when I would engage in this thought process and I would think to myself, whenever somebody finds himself in a situation like this, you want to receive counsel from people who have gone through this before you. So you think to yourself, you know, who should I call? You know, which fellow Lubavitcher survivor of sexual abuse should I talk to about this? And then it kind of, uh, you know, you come to the conclusion that you don't really have anybody to talk to. And that's, you know, (laughs) that's the daunting part, Wow. Uh, which, which was, it was a very profound realization for me in a sense. Um, I'm certainly, I don't think I was the first Lubavitcher to be sexually abused. Um, I think I might be one of the more visible ones at this point. I, I can just say from my perspective uh, is that I think you're one of, I think you're one of the first um, people who, you know, who sort of went all the way through the system and are considered success stories to come forward with a story like this. Baruch Hashem. I mean, well, so I'll, I'll tell you an, an, an interesting anecdote, Shalom Bar. Um, there was a period in time, uh, roughly about a year uh, a little bit less than a year. And so I went to the police and things really got off the ground uh, in um, last year, Erev Pesach. So almost a year ago now. Uh, my abuser was arrested on Erev Pesach, literally a wow. few hours before Seder. Uh, and then uh, the story came out on Reish Chedesh, Adar Aleph of this year. So about, you know, 10 and a half months. And in those 10 and a half months, um, you know, I was kind of had a foot in, in, in either world. And I was telling some people. And so I had a conversation with a, you know, with a Lubavitcher of Mashpia, you know, a, a, a Selecharav of sorts. And, and I asked him what he thought I should do. And he says, you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. 
I, I can't take it on my own shoulders to tell you to go forward with this because I don't know what the reaction will be. So I was frustrated with that. You know, we all want to do things and like, you know, get a pat on the back and an attaboy like, yeah, You're do so it, brave. do it, You're do so it. Special. Right, right. And, and that wasn't what he was saying. So I said to him, I said, you know, I got to ask you a question. It's my opinion. It's my, it's my projection, I guess, that in our Meistus, there are, you know, hundreds of kids. That's uh, dozens of kids that are, I, I said hundreds, that are survivors of sexual abuse. Do you agree with me? So he says, I disagree with you. If you think there's hundreds, I think there's thousands. You know, whatever you think the number is, I think it's higher. So I said, okay. So we, 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 we understand each other over here. So what are we going to do about that? He said, I don't know. But, but I'm not telling you that, you know, just because there's a calamity doesn't mean that this is the way to address the calamity. Right. Fine. Then one of the first people that I told in the Lubavitch world, I told a, a teacher of mine from Yeshiva. Um, you know, I, I, I did the whole thing. Zal, Shlichus, Micha, got married, went on Shlichus. And so I called one of my mashpim. This was a person that I was extremely close to. Um, you know, one of the people who was probably the hardest to keep it a secret from when I was in Zal. And so I called him and I, you know, it all tumbled out. And I, and I told him everything. And so it's quiet for a moment. And he says to me, I'll never forget his initial reaction. He says, wow, you were not the person I thought I'd hear this from. Wow. To me, it was saying like... It, saying it explicitly. Yeah, like to me, that was like, okay, you know, that's, that's a cute sentiment, but that, that's unfair. You know, there's, and, 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 I, and I guess what really motivated me to do this was this perception that, you know, survivors of sexual abuse by, by you know, typically are, um, you know, we use sexual abuse as an excuse for, for failures in life. You know, have Rahmanas on them. You know what they went through as a child. Like, that's why they can't cut it. That's why they can't make it. That's why X, Y, and Z. And, and why can't we shift that? And, and I think that as a result of that, because we're so used to that being a crutch, people are hesitant to come forward about their own abuse because they think to themselves, so who does that lump me in with? That lumps me in with all the excuse guys. I'm not an excuse guy. Look at me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, making, I'm, I'm making a life for myself. And so, you know, all of these things together really motivated the decision to come forward. Uh, I will I will be honest, up until 48 hours after the article came out, I was still scared to death, you know, what the reaction would be. Um, you know, at this point, Baruch Hashem, it's, it's been so overwhelmingly positive, and, and I'm still, I still, um, 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 you know, have this feeling that, you know, at someday, at some point, somebody's going to come out with, you know, a scathing, you know, how dare you, how, how could you have, etc. But in the meantime, uh, the reaction has been amazing. What was the specific thing you were scared of, like in your nightmares? What, what, what was an incident or, or something telling something that was, that was so, scaring you? That's an excellent question. I, I thought to myself, what, what, what am I doing wrong? Um, for, you know, for some reason, I always had this perception that the, the, the negative reaction would be along the lines of, you know, you know, it's, uh, you should go in and see somebody and it should be taken care of. You know, to, it, it, it's interesting to use the words, to say the words sexual abuse so freely uh, because it's it's not part of our lexicon and I, and I don't know if that's a bad thing you know I don't know if you know if, for better or for worse yeah, it's the it's, reality but it's it's even for me that you know I've, I've, I've spoken about sexual abuse to my to my shrink and to the cops and to everybody and their cousins when I say it in the context of you know of fellow Lubavitchers it's still it's still a little unnatural. It's uh, when I was having this discussion, um, and when I'm writing, you know, materials about this, and it's it's tempting to euphemize things. Yeah, 
you're going to say abuse, childhood abuse, CSA. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It's it's tempting to not, you know, it's the S word. You know? Yeah, it's, like it's it's an uncomfortable word for us to use. Absolutely. So so you know, I, I, I at no point in this process that I ever go through a phase where I want to burn down Lubavitch and 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 burn down my childhood and you know and and be a renegade and change everything. And and I think there is a beauty to a sensitivity, you know, where where the term sexual abuse is not thrown around so so frequently. At the same time, I wonder if, if an inability to understand really what sexual abuse is, you know, may have been a factor in how long it went on for me. I, I would, I would, again, not an expert sure. at all, but I, I'd, I'd wager that our, our inability to talk about these topics, topics at all um, leads to a whole, you know, host of uh, issues. And sure. For sure, people who are, who are getting abused and aren't able to come forward about sure. it. Sure. You know, I, I think about this a lot, that, you know... If you would go into a Masifta, Lubavitch Masifta today, any Masifta, you know, in town, out of town, whatever it is, and you get up in front of a bunch of 14, 15, 16-year-olds, and you say, can anybody here, by raise of hand, define for me what is the term sexual abuse? How would you define it? 75% of the room would go crimson, you know, would, 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 would blush to death. And the other 25, 25% would, would, would sit in their chairs uncomfortably. That's not a bad thing, per se, because they're not used to the term. And in a certain sense, there's a beauty and there's an innocence to that. But what if one of those kids is going through that and doesn't know what that means and, right. and, and, and what they're supposed to do with that? You know, that's something which I think about. And, and I think about me at 14, 15, 16, that didn't know the definition of that term. I would have never used that term, God forbid. But, and so in a certain sense, you know, there is a beauty to the, to the purity of it. But at the same time, it's just, I wonder at times, you know, what can be done to, to, to help those that are stuck in the middle of this? So we'll get to that later, I think. Sure. It's, a, it's definitely, like, what can be done, I think, is, you know, the reason we're here. Cause we're, we're, existential we're, question yeah. right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> what can be done in general about the world? That's why we're here. That's why we're Lubavitch. You know, sure. what can be done? Sure. We'll, we'll get to that a little later. So, so you're scared of a reaction that doesn't materialize. What is the reaction actually like? So... It's the first time I'm going to take a conversation down this road. And, and it's, you know, it's, it, Sean, about your audience, is, you know, we, we talked about it's pretty specific. And I think that, you know, I think your audience is, is up for hearing this. So I'd put the reaction into, into three camps, you know, into three different reactions. One reaction were those who came forward without being able to relate to it. You know, all the messages that began with, I have no idea what you're going through. You know, I was actually, I was chuckling with my mother today because she was pulling up an old text message. Uh, people would send me and my parents their condolences. Condolences. Condolences, you know, which, which I get it. Like, you know, if, you're, if your English vocabulary isn't that diverse, you know, when someone's <laughs> going through a hard time, you send them condolences. You know, thank God no one needed condolences. But, you know, so, so there was, and, and that was amazing. You know, people you know, people you don't know, people you knew 20 years ago, uh, you know, between me and my wife and my parents, you know, the, the, the people that came forward to share their love and support, for lack of a better term, and their their comfort, their attempt, you know, again, we, lack, we, we chuckle about condolences, but they're, they're wanting to be of support and of right. nichum, you know, for lack of a better they term. They want to be there for you. Right. That was, takes your breath away. Uh, and it still comes in. It's, it's, it's amazing. And people find the article later, whatever it is. That, that was amazing. Um, and and, and then, you, then there's kind of the second wave. You bump into people on the streets, and their attitude is one of, you know, I feel really bad. I wanted to text you. I just didn't know what to say. You know, what do you say to a person going through that? So I just want to let you know, I thought of you in the moment and I wanted to pick up the phone and call or text, just didn't know how to put it into words. And so that was, that is amazing. Just, and that is just a short thing. Uh, when I reached out to you sure. to, uh, to, ask, to ask you to come on the show, I must have rewritten that message probably 12 times. 
I, I it's I people just don't know, and I, I can put myself on that too. All right, I'm, and I'm a writer. My my day to day life. No, I, I I didn't know how to phrase the message. My, my wife was like getting all not upset, but she was like all weirded out. You know, that night when it came out, I was getting a lot of people was getting emojis. You're like you know, like emojis, the, the muscle emoji, <laughs> like the muscle emoji, and like the muscle emoji, and like you know, the kissing face emoji. That's amazing. And, and I was like, you know, I get it. Like they, they don't know what to say, so it's like you're strong, love you, like in emojis, fine. So I just sent them back the kissing face emoji. Uh, so, anyways, that's all kind of one camp. That's one camp. That's one camp. The second camp is is fellow Lubavitchers, shluchim, non shluchim, whoever it is, yidden, that came forward with their own abuse. The first six hours of that was remarkable because you think you're the only one in the world. And it's like, no, look at this. Here's one and here's one and here's one. After six hours, it went from remarkable to to actually depressing. Like, wow, I thought I was the only one. Not only am I not the only one. But we th- have a real crisis. On there's the hundreds. There's, there, there's no end in sight. And, and after you get past depressing, then you know it kind of comes to a point where you find people you can talk to about it. And, and, and you find people who have this common resolve and, 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 and you find that indeed there's an awareness as to the gravity of the issue and as to the enormity of the issue. And people are, are in lockstep. People get this. And so, you know, the second camp is the camp of fellow, fellow survivors, which grows, again, unfortunately, but remarkably by the day, you know, and, and, and people are coming forward. And so this is not my first time in Crown Heights since the article came out. I was here for a Shabbaton uh, four or five weeks ago. That was the most surreal experience in the world. Uh, you know, walking walking up up and down Kingston Avenue with a group of people from Salt Lake City and people coming over just like, you know, complete and total strangers. I was abused when I was 14 and just running off across the street. Like, wow. um, you know, it, it really is like there's like this secret society and people feel like, you know, uh, one person I can tell, you know, and I, I want to finally unload that. And so that's that's also amazing. Sadly amazing. And there's so much to be done amazing, but it's amazing. The third camp, and this is, you know, this is kind of the, the novelty that I want to talk about. You know, the third camp weren't people that were at all malicious or negative or, or harmful or rude. In their intentions. In, right. Or, or, or even in their words. But the third camp were people who didn't directly communicate, but who, you know, talked about the story online in a way to, to further their own agenda. So, so let me try to, you know, explain what I mean for a second. I see this in, in, the, in the larger world. So we live in a society, especially now in, in this country, where everything is politicized. And so everything good or bad immediately has something it falls into. So there's a shooting in a school, you know, before the bodies are cold. We gun control. We need to give the NRA, blah, 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 blah. And on the flip side, you know, right. there's a border town in Texas and an undocumented immigrant, you know, kills somebody and right there, oh, build the wall, build, like, do, do we know anything about the poor person who was killed? Is there a family? Everything is immediately spun, you know, in, in our society, every, our media. Every tragedy is an opportunity for something. Exactly, you know, and, and, and before, like, before the family has a chance to get their act together and like, you know. Let's give the family some dignity and some space and some, you know, the ability to grieve. No, we're spinning it right away. It's spun into, you know, how can this story further my agenda? So the story was very widely discussed online. I get it. Within the Lubavitch community, the, the, the Jewish community. So the people who took the story, and, and again, you know, wow, this is real bravery. How the vi, we should sow such bravery to those who come forward in our own community about the abusers in our own community. Like, that was a little hurtful. Because to me, the message was, 
Thank you for your contribution to society. We will use part of that to further our agenda, and the rest of it is useless to us. So shkoyach. And, and, and then you like, then you go into the, the you know, the, the depths of the Facebook comments, you know, the hypotheticals. What would have happened if he would have been abused by a mashpia? Would people be lining up to? Well, that's, that's literally a sale comment but, I saw ten minutes but, ago. But I, but I wasn't abused by a mashpia. Like you know, have you ever gone to a cancer survivor and said, "Huh, have you ever thought what would have happened if you had had kidney failure? You know how? What would have? I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I was given a set of circumstances to deal with in my own life, and I did. You know, uh, it, it's not something that as a survivor you sit back and think about. Well, my life is interesting because of this set of circumstances. I wonder what it would have been like different. You know, you think of what it would have been like different if I would have never been abused, but not, you know, what if my abuser would have been this? What if I would have been hit by a car? You know, it's just not the road you go down. And so those were, I wouldn't say they were painful, but those were sad. It was sad that, you know, even in our community, tragedy and and and, and a conversation like this, which which I agree, you know, let me let me be very clear. Sexual abuse within our community, you know. Being perpetrated by members of our community is a serious problem and one that needs to be dealt with. But it was sad to me that society is in a place where we can't even take a breath for a minute and be like, this is sad. Let's acknowledge this. Let's acknowledge this is sad. Then let's talk about it. You know, let's, let's take some time and use this conversation, use this, this episode to further conversation about something else. Instead, you know, right away, it's like, there's this story, let me chop it up to little pieces, take what I can and leave the rest. And that's, that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate when I think about other people who, who, you know, observe this story and think about you know, their own path to come forward. I hope that that reaction that they see from the, you know, from the bubble doesn't, doesn't back them off. I mean, because you're telling your story and you're hoping, you're hoping to have a positive impact. Correct. And people are taking your story and, you know, turning it not positive, right. to say the least. And, and, and the only thing that, you know, to me... The most, yeah. I'll, I'll just say this: before I went public, it required a lot of, you know, self-determination. That you're doing this, you're going to be okay with your decision if the whole world stands against you. You know, you're not doing this to garner public sympathy. You're doing this because you think it's the right thing to do, regardless of what people think. So, you know, I I don't need complete and total adoration, and 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 those comments don't detract from my willingness to come forward. What I'm concerned about is what it does to others. Right. So if somebody else sees this entire episode and is like, I tell my story, but then I'm going to get lynched by the, by the commenters, commentators, you know, on social media and all the talking heads in the from community. Well, this story is, gets a seven because, you know, because <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we can't give it full credit because blah. Wow. And, and, and you know, why would you do that? So you're, you're hoping that, that people who listen to this and who are encounter your story, people who you, who you hope will be helped by it, they, they should, you know, absorb a message from you that despite that negativity, you think it was still worth it. Despite, the negativity to me was, 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 was not even a drop in the bucket. The negativity to me was more of a social experiment. Right. You know? So the Lubavitch community who came forward directly were spectacular. They are, they were, they are, they continue to be. Uh, it's just that, that, Slice, which which is just interesting. It's an interesting social experiment. To me. They say that um, I think ninety percent of internet comments are left by one percent of the population. That makes about sense. It's, yeah. not, it's just not. It's not representative. It's right. No. Of, I, of, totally. Of people. Totally. 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 So there's another community, another group of people that was very intimately affected by this, and that's your actual community as a shliach. You're 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 a leader figure, a leadership figure, you're an authority figure, you're a rabbi. Um, when you come forward with that story. What's the reaction from them like? My my particular situation is made even stranger 
by the fact that I'm a shliach to a community, in a community that have known me since I was 11 months old. So there were two different reactions in the community. Certain people who knew me at that age still have a hard time making eye contact. They can't... They, do you think they feel guilty? Do you to think? some, a few of them to some, you know, people who really knew me well as a right. kid, you know. Uh, I, I, I got a bunch of messages, you know, how could I have missed it, which, which, is, which is for a different discussion. Right. But, but for those people, it's difficult. It's difficult to have known that, you know, you were there while it was going on. For the people who, who I know kind of in this later part of my life, you know, who, who I met as a shliach, who are, you know, who, who have come to town whilst I was there on shlichus, I would say this to fellow shluchim and I are shluchis, and, you know, and, and it's something which I, which I deeply believe in. People appreciate people. Human beings appreciate fellow human beings. Nobody wants to associate themselves. You know, no, one wa- no one feels comfortable, in my opinion, with somebody who's perfect because there, there's a certain distance that, cr- that perfection creates because right. you're perfect and I'm not, so how much can we even have in common? When you go forward about something like this and you, you know, make a point to talk about your struggles and your, and, and, and your hardships and, and, you know, difficulties in life, people relate to that. People see you as, you know, a, as a common human being. You've got your stuff and I've got my stuff and we've all got our stuff and we all fight the good fight and live to fight another day. Uh, and so, you know, the reaction in town and, and, and kind of the, the, the ripple effect that it's had as a result of that has been amazing. Uh, you know, people have really connected with the story. I, I think people see, see you in a different light. Um, now, that's not to say that, you know, as a shliach or a shlucha, you know, you should be you know, routinely discussing your shortcomings with your community. You know, obviously there's a healthy balance, but, you know, in a certain sense, people appreciate Real human beings who, str- who struggle. Don't, don't hide the important parts of your life from your community. Right, exactly. And, and, and even when it's painful, you know. Um, yeah, that, you know, that, that's, that's been my experience. And I, and I, would, I would tell that, you know, and I do tell that to Shluchim, you know. If, if you've gone through something in life, you have nothing to hide. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You know, you, in that sense, your community sees you, you're another, you're another one. And you're another common mortal and, and and they love you even more for that that's that's wonderful to hear yeah that's, uh, no, so this is more of a, a more difficult question um looking back at your whole your whole experience and especially now that you've been receiving these messages and being told from other survivors who now see you as someone they can talk to you 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 know a lot more i think you have a lot a lot better idea of the scope of the problem in our community and i think most people have including me are you mad at the community Mad, mad, I don't know if mad is the right word. Are you angry? Are you upset? Do you, do you, do you have any any negative feelings towards authority figures who you think could have done things differently to protect people, uh, to protect you, to protect other people who have survived the kind of thing, the kinds of things that you've gone through? Wow. So, this is going to sound very lofty. I'm trying to stay off of anger. No. I mean that in the sense of, you know, it's a pretty careful path you need to walk. First of all, from a criminal justice standpoint, you, you can't go into this looking for a pound of flesh. You, you need to go into this with, health, with a healthy attitude. You know, 
you can't be needing to bring retribution on the head of your abuser and go scorched earth to get that. You need to put your trust in the system and let it happen. I think to a lesser extent, you need to employ that same attitude when it comes to making change within the community. I'm a very firm believer, and this has only been you know, significantly reinforced by conversations with fellow survivors. Being a survivor of sexual abuse is something you cannot relate to unless you went through it. Period. It's that simple. So, you know, I will acknowledge, I, I will put out there, you know, that this is a, this is a, 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 a problem that is woefully under-addressed in our community. There are efforts, there continue to be efforts, to stop this from, you know, from top down, from getting predators off the streets. And, you know, I don't know the statistics, and I'm sure there are those that do, that that's been moderately successful, more successful, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I went through our system. I loved our system. I cherished our system in the past, and I continue to cherish our system. You know, I, 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 I loved my 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 bacharish yarn, for lack of a better term. Yet, as a survivor of sexual abuse going through all that, I, I did not feel there was a place for me, in a certain sense, and I did not feel that there was an infrastructure for me. And that is something which I think we can change and we must change. It won't happen by burning anybody down. It won't happen by, you know, with, with pitchforks and protests. It, it Work needs to be done from within. And I think that what, what it requires for starters is it requires people who have gone through this to take that sort of role and to create that sort of comfort system for survivors and say, you know, there's a few of us out here who get it. And let's talk. Um, so in answer to your question in terms of, you know, anger and uh, am I upset? No. However, I don't, I, I find that my not being angry does not detract from the fact that I still think it's a woefully underaddressed problem and it needs to be addressed. And so I'm, I'm not angry as much as I'm determined that, that this needs to be addressed, you know. I, I don't know the dynamic of girls going through this. I'm sure it's a completely different kettle of fish. I have met a few, you know, spoken to a few female survivors and, and in brief conversation, it is a completely different experience. Um, but for the Bakram out there, you know, something needs to be done. Uh, and when we say something needs to be done, we, we don't need to be, you know, building lavish buildings or, or creating flashy campaigns. A, a system needs to be in place. You know, every person needs to feel that their pain is real and, and believed and, and legitimized and there's something to be done for them. And that's what we need to be doing. So as a, as a, as a bucker myself, and, the, you know, someone went through the same system sure. as you did most of the way, um, being, being, a, being, a, being away from home, Sifta, Zal, being a, being a bucker is a, is a very strange, um, almost like out-of-planet out of experience. You're in a different, you're on an island. This, um, and I think there's advantages and disadvantages to that, but I think that there's opportunity there too. In, in this area we're talking about because you're with new people. People didn't know you as a, you know, from home and stuff you suffered. I mean, assuming that this abuse happened, you know, as a child and not, you know, currently ongoing in yeshiva itself, which would be a tragedy in itself and a whole different kind of problem. But what would it have looked like for you as a Bakar Masif Dorazal? Um, a, a scenario, a conversation where you would have 
come forward and, sp- and spoken about to somebody you trusted. How could that have happened? So I'll I'll, I'll start with it with a, with a personal anecdote. When I was on Shluchas, uh there was a fellow shliach of mine, a very good friend, who you know had a bacher he was learning with, he was very close with, and the bacher was going through a hard time, and the shliach was you know was very personally involved in in this bacher. He was a bacher, was like fifteen in his you know in, in helping him going through his thing. And it was like, you know, highly classified what, what the kid was going through. What this kid, no, like what, what steps were being taken to, to help the kid. You could have thought like, you know, the kid was undergoing like, you know, testing in a, in a, in a, in a Navy lab. Like, you know, <laughs> like, after a few weeks it came out, the kid was seeing a therapist. Wow. And it was like, and, and this, you know, was, was being protected, you know, by lock and key. Somebody should find out. Now, where I was when all this was going on was still in a different part of my life, you know, pre-meeting my own seeing a therapist. But I remember, I remember the, the stigma and like, you know, the horror. You know, this Bachar is doing this thing and he's seeing a therapist. And I'm like, ah, you know, God forbid somebody should know. Now let me answer your question. When I was in Masifta, specifically Masifta and Denzal, and, and as years went along, the, the fear, you know, waxed and waned. I was convinced that if the Hanhala Sayyishiva knew about my path, my, my story, and it got out to them, forget helping. They would have kicked me out. Kick you out. Absolutely. No, you know, no question. This was before I, I understood the, the very basic concepts of, of consent, you know, and, and, and of the criminal element of it. What if we could tell our Bahram that, you know, you could be comfortable telling your Mashpia, whoever it is, you, there, there's a figure in Yeshiva that you can share any concern with. And they will get you the help that you need. Some of that help might involve seeing a therapist. Which is also not so bad. Which is also not so bad. Um, you, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, I feel like that's the infrastructure that we need to be putting in place. We really need to be telling our Bachram. You know, and, and, and this is a larger conversation because it starts with the messages that we teach our kids at home, you know, way right. before they leave home. But, you know, I think, because I think you make, a, you make a very good point. When you are in Yeshiva out of town, you really are on an island. You know, you really, there's, there's a certain attachment and you learn to to create uh, a healthy environment for yourself within Yeshiva. And, and you hope that between the Anhala and your friends or whoever else is involved, you're getting everything you need. Can we really make sure that's a reality? Can we really make sure our Bachram are getting everything they need from every standpoint, you know, if I was in Chicago, you know, where it gets minus 35 at night, if a bucket was sleeping in the dorm without a blanket at night, Don Hollow wouldn't tell him to learn an extra pair of tanya before he goes to bed and, 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 and in lieu of the blanket. Right. Like, you know, are we, are, are we ready to take upon ourselves that we are ready to provide for our Bachram any need that they have, be it physical, spiritual, or emotional, or, or, or mental health related? Um, and, and, and that's really, you know, the, the, the dream of mine that I'd like to see implemented, you know, for, for the good of these Bakram is, is that. Because as far as I understand it, and again, I'm not far from an expert, but I've read, I've read on the subject a little bit. It's not that complicated to get people who've been, you know, abused to come forward. All, so very often, all, the, all you have to do is just ask them. That's, I, w- I would disagree with that. You would disagree? Okay, I would so, disagree. so that's what I'm asking, because you mentioned earlier in the conversation that it was hard to keep it a secret from a, from a specific mashpia. Yes. Right, not because he had ever asked about it, right. only because there is a you no. Know, right, there's a certain comfort level. 
that you develop with with few people. Right. Yes, that's true. So yeah. if they would have asked you straight up, if he would have asked me straight up, I would have had a really well. Well, that's a tricky question because if he would have asked me straight up, have you been sexually abused? Going back to what I said before, you think he was accusing you of something. I would have not understood what that question meant. I would have said absolutely not. What if he broke it down to something where you touched inappropriately? Right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. Well, if you if you ask it like that, yeah. Right. Um, but yes, I, I I think you make a good point. You know, yes, the again. I'm a firm believer that in our yeshivas, we have the most remarkable human beings. You know, I, I, I look back fondly on all my hanhala. Sure, some more, some less. But, you know, I, I'm a believer that the people we have working in our maestas are the best. And, and, and they're entrusted with our bachran. And I'm sure the same is true with the girls. L- let's see if we can give them tools to keep this conversation going. And, and, and to broach this new frontier. Because I don't think that it's... You know, it's it's not needed. I, I think it certainly uh, is I needed. I think, unfortunately, it's extremely needed. Right. And so, you know, what what if we could provide that as well? So, in, in your opinion, a simple training program for Mashbiyam, a simple question, like, you know, like a simple template. Yeah. Have this conversation with somebody who you think might, might, might apply to. Yeah, well, let's talk about the facts. Right. What does sexual abuse mean? What are some symptoms that you might see in a survivor of sexual abuse? So, do abuse? You, th- you, think, you think educating the Bakram and kids first is important also? Meaning, letting them know like there are certain things that happen that are just not okay. That's a, that's a that's a conversation which I, in a certain sense, I don't know if I feel like I have the you know the 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 authority on because I'm not a mechanech, right? And I'm not a mashpia, and and I don't know how to speak to Bachram about a topic like right. this. So I'll tell you I'll tell you why I'm asking because I had a conversation on this podcast with a chassan teacher, and he sees unfortunately a lot of because of the media people consume today and a lot of other factors, people go into marriage today with a lot of skewed ideas of about intimacy and how, you know, and sure. what it is and how it functions. And I asked him whether he thinks Bakr might benefit from a level of, again, that word, sex education. You know, obviously using, you know, but mm-hmm. more intimacy education, the idea of how people are supposed to relate to their bodies and the opposite sex and, and the idea of, you know, all of that. And whether and he, and he also wasn't willing to take on the authority to say we have to start doing this in yeshiva, but he he thought it would help. I, so so I I, so I'm not asking you to say I'm we should do him. this in I'm, a certain way. Do you think it would help if there was some form of education for Bachar, and even younger maybe to you know to to be aware of of their bodies and the way you know certain things can happen that yes. are just not okay. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know. It's not a secret how I learned about sexual abuse from watching a TV episode. Right. That's kind of sad. That's, yeah, that's that's very sad. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, there, there, there's got to be a way out there how to do it that blends, again, you know, the sensitivity and the ruchnius and, and you know, not, not, telling our kids all these things that they don't need to know at such a young age while keeping them safe, keeping them aware. Um, you know, we give Bachram Chassan classes before they get married. We don't just, you know, throw them in the ring and be like, hey, go figure it out. Like, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. Like, you know, the human race has survived for God knows how many thousands of years. No, so I'm sure you and her will, you know, figure it out together. We, we don't do that. We sit them down and we tell them, you know, this is what's going to happen and this is how it works, etc. Uh, yeah, perhaps there's a way to, you know, have that conversation again, not from a sexual connotation in terms of, you know, from an intimacy level, but, but, you know, hello, young man, you know, there's this thing called puberty, your body is changing, your mind is changing, your hormones are changing, 
let's talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, your body and, and, and so on. A few weeks ago, I had a conversation with the Shliach. He had reached out right after the abuse. Yeah, this is a guy I'm pretty close with. So he says to him, he, he called to ask me for advice. Um, every summer, he goes with his kids to his in-laws. And near his in-laws, there's another Lubavitcher family that, that lives there, and the kids like playing with the kids. And he is very concerned that the father of this other family is, is, you know, is up to no good. So he wants to tell his kids that they can't go and play in the other house, but the kids are welcome to go and play in their house. But, but how do you tell your kids that? So I said, well, I don't, I don't have a good answer for you, but you know, let me think this through. You know, why, don't you, why don't you share with your kids that you feel uncomfortable? You know, why don't you have a conversation with your kids about uncomfortability, about feeling creeped out? So he said, I don't know if, a conversation, if I could have a conversation like that with my kids. I said, you know, maybe that's a problem, you know? My kids are little. His kids are much older. My kids are three and one. You know, I don't know. I'd like to feel that when the time comes, I could tell my kids, you know, I feel really uncomfortable around this person. This person makes me feel uncomfortable. Me, I'm a tati. You know, you think I could fly. You know, you think that I'm the greatest human being alive. Yet, that person makes me feel uncomfortable. How do you feel? Can you think of a person that makes you feel uncomfortable? You know, the conversations need to change, and you know, and, and if we want to protect our kids from those kinds of things, we need to figure out ways to really bring nuance to these conversations that we never thought we'd have with our kids. Well, yeah, <laughs> the uh, the the world sometimes you know limits our options and the kinds of conversations we uh, sure we have to st- we have to start having. Sure. Um, okay, so uh, if there was one practical change uh, that you you know just an actual thing, a program, just one even a small thing, what would what would you do? If you had the power to do that, would it be in elementary school, Masifta, Zalim, and what would it be? I'd like to see it starting later and working its way backwards. I think that obviously sixteen-year-olds are are more kalim to have this conversation than you know than than fourteen-year-olds, and so on. I would love to see, you know. My brother-in-law was my shadchan. So my brother-in-law was teaching in the smicha program where I was learning, and after the year was over, he called my then shvigar, my would-be shvigar, and suggested the shidduch, and we all lived happily ever after Baruch Hashem. So I said to him after everything came out, I said, you know, i got to be honest with you. I was very scared of you in particular, like, you know, especially smicha, like, you know, marriage is coming, and, like, you know, it's, it's a new phase in life. And so i got to ask you, if my 22-year-old self, 21-year-old self would have gone to you and said, Hi, Rabbi Blankety, uh, I was sexually abused as a kid. What would you have done? Right then in the moment. Meaning, would you have read that shidduch? No, forget that. Like, okay, you're saying... You're, you're sitting, we're sitting in the Nahal office, you know, we're, we're having a deep conversation. And I said to you, oh, by the way, I've always wanted to tell you, uh, I was sexually abused. Right there, that moment. You're the first person I've ever told. It's a huge moment in my life. How would you have reacted? What would you have done? And he's like, I have no idea. That's a problem. That's a very direct problem. That's a problem that I think we can tackle head on. Uh, you know, I think it starts with our with our hanhalas, and then it trickles down to the bachram. You know, no. Once there's a system in place of people who are ready to have this conversation with you, now you need to be comfortable enough to go and and bring that conversation to them, and you can rest assured that when you do that, there is a listening voice on the other end that knows how to handle this topic sensitively. But, you know, 
I feel like this topic is one that it's like it's like a bad itch that like you know you itch it for a while and it really knows you like I really should go into it knock and you wake up the next morning and it's gone yeah you know no harm no foul I'm fine and it's like gone for a week and then we get to come back I really get to go see a doctor and then it goes away I feel like you know we're tiptoeing around this issue right. and, and and ultimately that's all that I wanted to accomplish was like stop tiptoeing you know take a good hard look this this is what it is um, you know are we ready to acknowledge that our community suffers from this problem as much as anybody else from fry Jews Catholics Catholics Muslims Mormons atheists you name it it's 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 a common denominator everybody has got this when we do that which I think we're doing and when we really do that properly I think then you know the natural uh, reaction to that is that it behooves us to to be ready to you know acknowledge and accept a real lasting change okay so on that note that's uh thank you so much sure thank you so much for coming by thank you thank you so much for for your for you know speaking openly about this not only to me but to other outlets i hope uh i hope that your story um can make real positive change for for people who've been suffering for you know for too long thanks along there I, I, I hope it does the same. All right. Appreciate Thank you so it. much. Thank you. Thank you again to Right Simple for coming on, and thank you for listening. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to us via email at ChabadPulse at gmail.com or via the social media platform of your choice. And speaking of social media, please take a moment to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That way you'll get the latest updates on what's going on with the show and what's coming up next. Down the line, in Hashem, there will even be ways to interact with the show by getting your questions featured in future interviews, so please get involved. And if you aren't subscribed to us yet, uh, please do. You're missing out. Subscribing to us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, or the podcast platform of your choice, and some of you, you know, the fancy tech people out there who have custom RSS feeds, um, it's the easiest and simplest way to keep up with the show. Uh, It's the easiest way to listen to past and future episodes of the show. Uh, You get automatic updates, just when the episode comes out, you get it. You don't have to go search for it. It's right there. Just press play. Um, if you want to subscribe, just search Chabad Pulse again on the platform of your choice, whether that's iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play or YouTube, um, and search Chabad Pulse in no spaces and just hit subscribe. It's as simple as that. The next episode is going to be after Pesach and Hashem, and uh, we're going to be <laughs> meet at this time on a regular posting schedule throughout spring and summer, including the episodes we announced at the end of last episode. Complicated story, but they're coming out and uh, on a regular schedule. As always, thanks for listening. And uh, let's keep this conversation going.